Good morning. Welcome to the Backyard Professor Live Podcast video sessions, learning opportunities. It's Sunday morning. Today I have a wonderful interview with a master mason and past master of his lodge, Clinton Bartholomew. Today at one, my time, mountain time. We are discussing the method infinite. Uh, of Cheryl Bruno, Joe Steve Swick, and uh, Nick Letursky. I did get to interview Nick yesterday. I interviewed Cheryl last night, also one of the authors, and an interesting situation happened. A storm knocked us off the the internet. I, I had no internet at all on any of my computers, my TV, nothing. It just knocked me out right in the middle of our interview. So we called that part one. We're going to be doing part two tonight at six o'clock. She's going to be my main Sunday night show. This, this storm (laughs) knocking me out of my interview last night got me to thinking about my hair's a wreck, which is typical. It got me thinking about storms, the power of storms, lightning, thunder. And I began to do a free association. Now, this is what I call it, a free association of themes, ideas that happen to us And there's a lot of things that happen to us. It's called life. Yeah. From our perspective, we judge either good or bad. Yeah. So this idea of storm, lightning, thunder. Now, I cross-reference my library books because, one, book indexes just are inadequate. They are, truly. And, two, I like to compare what other people describe of, say, a certain scripture, a certain historical personality, or a a historical situation, you know, Caesar crossing the Rubicon, or Jesus turning water to wine, etc. Just all kinds of interesting historical situations. The comparison of the ancient Enuma Elish poem with the Epic of Gilgamesh and some Old Testament parallels. Just Things like that, I like to do free association, and I cross-reference my books. So last night, I had a wonderful opportunity to discuss in my own mind, look into this theme that has related ideas, storms, lightning, and thunder. And I just kind of plowed through several books. I've got my pile of books here. Some have a paragraph. Some have just a mere sentence on this subject. Some have a page and a half. And what I want to do is just share with you the mystery. And it is involved in the ancient mysteries. And it is still a mysterious, overwhelming, powerful force, this thing we call lightning. The effect of the thunder. This is 
the voice of God. Now, we think metaphorically. And in utilizing the metaphorical approach to the mysteries, to their language, sometimes we overliteralize what the ancients meant as either symbolic or as an analogy or a metaphor. There are so many different ways of looking at ideas. And when my suspicion is when we look at an idea, and it happens today, even in discussions among friends or family members, if something is said or we read something and we take it metaphorically, but it was actually meant to be literal, <laughs> this is going to give cause to the rise of misunderstanding. Unfortunately, there have been entire wars occurring because of misunderstandings somewhat of this type. We take something literal when it's not supposed to be. We take something symbolic when it's not supposed to be. We take something metaphorical or analogical when it's not supposed to be, and so we're not connecting, right? That's the, that's the idea. What I want to do is just free associate, beginning with Joseph Campbell's Inner Reaches of Outer Space. And I'm going to try to show you the actual Navajo sand painting that he is describing while I'm reading this. Hopefully I can do this. This is the beautiful color of the sand painting that he is describing in the text. It's fantastic. And then I will point out some of the ideas. This sand painting, the bounded area is equivalent to the interior of a temple. That's what we want to understand. This is why they made it in the way they made it. It's an earthly paradise, and all forms are to be experienced here. Not in terms of practical relationships, threatening or desirable, evil or good, but as the manifestations of powers supporting the visible world. The painting is used in a blessing ceremony for healing. It also is designed to impart the courage and the spiritual strength requisite so that they can endure some ordeal or that they can have the power and strength of the performance of some difficult task. The colors are very important. The symbolisms on it are very important. One of the symbols that he points out is these little feet, these footsteps. Then when they get into, notice this border around, this separates this particular area. This is the tree or the ladder. And it also has footsteps going up this tree. And then it pops out of this area. There's a bird, which is symbolic of the spirit. And then we see the footsteps again. This is demonstrating that the individual is going to start below 
He's going to make his way through his adventure up. You could call this the modern day, the modern day Jack and the Beanstalk, except the Hopi, the Navajo, I should say, I apologize. The Navajo show it as corn. And the ascension is clearly seen with these footsteps. It's the same footsteps. You can see someone is having an ascension. They pass through the two guardians, the male and the female. They go up. They break through the roof of limitation. The spirit soars and they continue on their way. This is symbolic. This is an absolutely wonderful depiction of the ascension of the spiritualized movement from a mundane existence, an earthly ground existence into an opening of wider, higher consciousness, if you want to call it that, with this bird, a higher spirituality, a higher manifestation, and then they go on their way. They do not come back down. They This is the ascension. Uh, and, and this is so interesting how he describes this. The thing that caught my eye last night and again this morning was the person who is going through this ceremony with this with this uh, fantastic symbol, with this fantastic painting, and they paint these by hands with the different colored sands, is they don't just look at the painting to try to, like I'm doing here for you, you and I, we're looking at this painting and trying to understand, come to some kind of a basis of understanding of, well, what would that mean? Um they actually, the initiate, wherever this happened in a sacred space and with the sacred symbolisms of the corn, of the ascension, of the space being separated from the mundane life, you could say they're entering into the larger cosmos here. And then once they ascend up the cornstalk, the beanstalk, the ladder, the tree of life, corn to the Native Americans was the, the life food. So this could be very properly with their cultural inflection, a very similar analog to the biblical tree of life. And in ancient uh, Siberia, the shamans, as Merce Iliata has shown, always ascends the tree. He climbs the tree. The shamans are tree climbers. So this is given to represent the people, us, you and I, symbolically or analogically, or I mean metaphorically, making our own ascension and then popping out into a wider, higher, non-limited notice. This is the limit, even though it is the cosmological aspect. And this is kind of my interpretation of this. I could be completely off base. But this is the power of symbolism is you incorporated. You enter the painting. You and I are looking at this painting. To the initiates, they become this painting. 
they actually enter it. And then when they come out of this, they again go into unlimited, the territory of the infinite, the wide open, the eternal, the immortal. That's what this symbol, this cluster of symbolisms is speaking, whether it's through the color context, the figurate context, the symbolic context. It's really quite beautiful that way. The thing that really caught my attention is they are grounded and participating at the same time. However, and I want, I'll, I'll show this to you while I'm reading this because this is wonderful. At the top portion here, we come halfway through the ascension. Once we get halfway, we observe this zigzag line. With a God ahead, I wander. Oh, here, sorry, I'm going to start back on this page. This is the pollen path. This is the mystic way known at, to the Navajos as the pollen path, the great corn plant. The footsteps represent a spiritual ascent along the pollen path. There is a verse from a sacred chant for this pollen, pollen path. In the house of life I wander on the pollen path. With the God of cloud, I wander to a holy place. With a God ahead, I wander with a God behind. In the house of life, I wander on the pollen path. At the upper portion within that square figure, the great corn plant's upper mark, upper half, is marked by a lightning flash, which immediately invokes in the mind the oriental Vajra, the thunderbolt of enlightenment, which we see in so much of Hindu and Buddhist iconography. It strikes to the very exact center of the way. And this corresponds if we count the leaf-marked stages, the tassel above and the root below, exactly to the fourth chakra, Anahata, where the sound is heard that is not made by any two things striking together. So in Navajo myths and legends, the god known as the sun bearer possesses lightning arrows. His domicile is above in the sky, and when his twin sons, conceived of him by an earthly virgin called Changing Woman, when they arrive to receive from him the power and weapons with which to rid the world of monsters, the solar power of which they then became possessed was so great that when they returned to earth, it had to be modified by the talking god of the deity pantheons. This is symbolic of the solar energy and of water and of the moon, the high place onto which the twins descended from the heavenly house of their father to earth was the central mountain of the world. 
And this corresponds to the Anahata fourth chakra. Now, that is an amazing amalgamation of text, symbols, uh, connections, correlations that I thought was really remarkable. And so this kind of encouraged me to begin to, to spread out my search throughout my library, just enjoying the time of doing a free association. Hey, Mr. Natural, good morning. Hey, Isa, nice to see you. Good afternoon. Yes. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for thinking I do have valuable insights. I hope so. Um, I Like I've said, it looks like there's a few more people here. I am having the interview with the Master Mason Clinton Bartholomew today at 1 on Method Infinite. Right now, I'm just sharing a free association of the imagery of storms because that's what prevented me and Cheryl from completing our interview last night. So I'm going to have her on tonight. <laughs> Fun stuff. So my mind got thinking about storms, lightning, thunder. What is the spiritual significance? What is the symbolism? How does this affect us? With, with the electricity in the sky, as I just read concerning this Navajo sand painting, we have tamed that. So we love to imagine our own electronics. You are watching this in your computers. I am sharing this using my computer. We have tamed the electricity, the lightning, into machines so that we can enhance the quality of our lives. And yet the power lets us know that it's not us that is doing this. As ingenious as we are with these magnificent machines and the hard drives and the electronic circuits, if you've ever looked into your iPhone or into an old computer, the electronic circuitry is just fantastic. We tame Mother Nature in order to use her and yet, just like last night, when Mother Nature came back at me and wrecked my connection that I have tamed utilizing the computer, she shows us we haven't done anything that she can't change. <laughs> That's kind of a, a miniature little spiritual idea there for you, for what it's worth. Well... This idea of the lightning bolt, I go now to, I found some discussions in the lightning bolt, and, and it's an older book, and I have definitely used this one, Richard Roberts and Joseph Campbell's Tarot Revelations. What do they say about the lightning bolt? And this is so much fun. And I have to get a picture out here because I want to, I want to share this theme. There is a wonderful elaboration of this concept. In the Tarot, Tower of Destruction. This is the Tarot card number 16. I want to read a little bit about this card because, again, the symbolism and the intent of the theme is quite interesting as we begin to apply it metaphorically 
within our own selves, in our daily lives. The tower of pride is destroyed by the lightning bolt of God's judgment. Appropriately, the card appears in column three above those of the hanged man, the justice, and the emperor. Its key is to be found in Dante's Purgatorio. So here we get to look into some interesting literature in relation to symbolism the tarot card symbolism. In the Purgatorio, where the penances corrective of the faults of hell are displayed. James Joyce, whose chief literary model was in fact Dante, in both Ulysses and in Finnegan's Wake, he lets the sound of a great thunderclap represent the moment of the humbling of his hero's pride. Last night I was humbled by the thunderclap and the lightning. I thought I was going to get in a real good, powerful, wonderful interview that could be shared to billions of people if they so desired to look, and I got shut down. It humbled my pride, right? That's a way to look at this. Very interesting. Well, in the middle of Ulysses, Stephen, the novel's hero, is terrified by the clap of thunder and lightning after a session of blasphemous boasting. A black crack of noise in the street here, a lack bald back, loud on left, Thor thundered. In anger awful, the hammer hurler and he that had erst challenged to be so doughty waxed pale as they might all look and shrank together and his pitch that was brought so hout uplift was now of a sudden quite plucked down. Look at that symbolism of the tarot. That's beautiful, isn't it? And his heart shook within the cage of his chest as he heard the breath of that storm. I think that's so fascinating how they how they uh, describe that, how Finnick Wake describes that. That's so, or Ulysses, I mean, that didn't change Joyce. James Joyce was in tune. He was fantastic. Well, in Finnegan's Wake now, that fall from the ladder of Finnegan, the great builder of cities and towers, here we are, right? is to the sound of a hundred-lettered word composed of thunder syllables from many tongues. And I can't even pronounce the thing. It's a hundred letters long. And what he did is he gathered all the words for thunder and combined them into one word. Fascinating and interesting. Dion Battista Vico wrote of the voice of thunder as the noise that first woke in brutal primitive man the fear of God and moved him to reform his ways. Well, when we turn to the Bible, of course, the great lesson of the humbling of man's pride is the legend of what? The Tower of Babel. Interesting how the cultural contexts across the world have some of the same symbolisms, isn't it? It's kind of fun to, to see those. 
actually the historic model of that Tower of Babel in the Bible, the great ziggurat of Babylon, had been built as an image of the axial mountain of the universe, up which ascent should be made. Interesting. Rather in worship than in pride, however, to the seat of the Lord of Light. So Dante's image of the axial mountain of purgatory, up which ascent is made penitentially to the earthly paradise, is one of the same basic form and sense. The crucial question as rendered in the Bible is whether one mounts the tower in impudence or in penance. In our card, the tower is of pride. It is being uncrowned. And like Joyce's Finnegan from his ladder, the smitten occupants fall to the ground. So that's this idea of the thunder lightning struck tower that I wanted to, to get out. And then I began looking in other areas, in other texts, and I found even more information on this wonderful image of the tower and the lightning. And rather than just focus on the tarot cards, we now are able to see that there seems to be some type of a congruence or a connection in the Jewish Kabbalah tree of life as well. So we see how this begins to expand. We see information from James Joyce's fantastic literary achievements of the early in the last century. Then we end up in the Bible. And then we end up in Dante. Hayes, fantastic materials. And now we go from the tarot cards to the ancient Jewish Kabbalah. This is what I mean by free association. Utilize, you can either focus on a specific uh, symbol or a, a literary theme or construct and just wheel and deal. And real scholars, real, quote, real scholars, they really don't like doing this, and yet it is the essence of creativity. So a lot of them end up doing this anyway, and they're the ones, really interestingly, that end up writing the best-selling scholarship. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? Kind of an interesting, ooh, <laughs> oddity. Well, I will, in honor, since this weekend I am honoring uh, Cheryl Bruno, Joe Steve Swick III, and... Uh, Nick Letursky, the three authors of the book Method Infinite on Freemasonry and the Mormon uh, Restoration. Uh, I will also honor my dear friend Joe Steve Swick by sharing some of the mystery information of texts that he told me I really ought to acquire. And it was because I was pressing him so hard with so many questions and wanting to learn so much. And he said, if you're that determined to learn, then you must acquire this text, the Kabbalistic Tarot. And this is a textbook of mystic uh, philosophy. It's by Robert Wang. This man is serious. It's a wonderful thing. And so what we find here is a couple of wonderful diagrams. This is the Kabbalistic Tree of Life, Sephiroth. And on this side, we see from the top, we see how to work our way down the tree. This is how the C 
celestial influence. I'll, I'll call it celestial. Call it spiritual. Call it spirit. Call it power. Call it, but notice the zigzag lightning. This is how the power descends to earth. I think that's fantastic. That's very, very interesting, isn't it? So this, this theme of the tower and the lightning combines with the spiritual aspects of the Kabbalah tree of life. It is fantastic. And then we have the, the triangles, which is a very, very important Masonic symbol. Actually, it's, it's an incredible, <laughs> it really is an incredible symbol in the ancient mysteries. And this tree of life idea, he says, is divided into three pillars, and that's the three pillars right there. Same thing, they just drew the pillars. And uh, the Zephyrot on the right side are the pillar of mercy. Those on the left are the pillar of severity. And then we want to have the middle pillar, which is the pillar of balance. And the finest way to have not only a comfortable, but a very successful life is don't get too caught up in one side extreme or the other. Balance is always the best. Center yourself. I mean, they taught me that in martial arts. The best way to deliver the strongest type of punch or the strongest type of kick was to center your gravity. Yeah. If you're off kilter, what does that mean? It's off to the side. You're not balanced. You're not able to effectively function physically, spiritually, mentally, psychologically, if we're off balance. The lightning bolt demonstrates the holistic balance and how it all integrates all the levels, not only of the psychological, but of the spiritual plane. That's a wonderful symbolic illustration. I, I personally really, really enjoyed that. And then again, another text that Joe Steve Swick told me I must acquire and read as often as I can is the Thursday Night Tarot by Jason Lauderhand. And this text is just fabulous, um, just wonderful. And I will just read a quick selection uh, of Lauderhand concerning the tower. I'm going to put this wonderful picture of the tower back up. In the words of Hermes Trismegistus, the soul cannot long endure its nymphal prison. It's interesting to note that the dragonfly backs out of its old dead nymphal form. Just like the people in the tower, he, he doesn't see where he is going. Life calls and he goes. In order to rid ourselves of something old or undesirable, we literally have to get rid of it so that something much better can come along. Now, life won't stand for the half-baked understandings of key 15, which is the devil key. The tower represents rationalizations, excuses, and intellectualizations. Its bricks correspond to words like the Tower of Babel. It gets nowhere. So, life takes responsibility, and it helps us out of this gross mistake. 
This lightning struck tower with these people falling out of the tower. Is it not remarkable that we would say, oh, wow, that's bad. Our first impulse appears to be a quite negative one, doesn't it? But yet it is entirely a blessing to get us off dead center and get on with expanding the glory, the joy, the happiness, the love in our lives. That's what this tower is representing. It's very interesting. This is a spiritual rebirth, an emergence away from the ordinary, the everyday consciousness into a more positive atmosphere, a type of consciousness that is completely different from environmental conditioning and the race mind. We have to pass from a state of almost total ignorance into knowledge of what we truly are. The key word for this card is awakening. Isn't that interesting? I love that. I love that analysis. And not to be outdone. Now, in, in doing my free association, hey, Mike Weist and Mr. Natural and Mike Lang, uh-oh. Uh, I will too. You're saying it's chop, huh? I will have to slow it down just a little bit. I hope it's not too choppy. I will uh, try to talk slower. Hopefully it's not too bad. Doggone it, I'm having trouble electronically, aren't I? Isn't that interesting? That's what I was saying. In his book by David Allen Holtz, The New Dimensions of the Cube of Space, his, his fantastic analysis, it's not working. What? My wife is trying to tell me I'm having troubles with this. It's not too bad. It is choppy, huh? Wow, that is crazy. Okay, I'm not quite sure. The feed is going in and out, stalling, and then jumping ahead. Wow, I'm not over yet of my problems, apparently. That is crazy. That's too bad. It is doable. Keep going. The narrative is fine. Huh, I wonder. Some of you are getting it good, and some of you aren't. A little radio static. Okay. Well, if, if I will keep going at this point, I will go slow so that hopefully the choppiness won't goof us up. Hopefully this is an interesting topic to you. It really is with me. Holtz in his book, The Cube of Space, has also shown and this is a very powerful mystic symbol of the ancient mysteries, the cube. It's prominent in the ancient temple of Solomon also, which is quite fun and very interesting to notice. But notice there is a correlation that Holtz has found with the tarot cards and the cube of space. And that's really interesting 
because this adds a little bit further understanding to the idea. Okay, you're all saying to keep going. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to everybody who hasn't been here before. I'm going to keep going. Holtz on page 43 says, the tower, now the cube of space, the cube of space is in the six directions. In order to get creation, the idea is to present a limit. If we had just the infinite, then we couldn't have actual existence, creation, separation, discrimination. So the mystic symbol is God created the cube of space with the six different directions, and each of those directions have interesting meaning. North, south, east, west, forward, and backward, or front, behind. There's six sides to the cube, and each side of the cube corresponds with a property of a tarot card in the major arcana, as well as with in the cube, on the inside. So with the cube, we get the inner dimension and the outer dimension as well. So that being said, the power of the north side, the tower is put in the north. Now, this is such an interesting correspondence because in the Old Testament, it is said that evil comes from the north. It is coming from the north that causes a disruption of the ordinary, of the everyday routine, so to speak. Now, interestingly enough, in history, we have the ancient Indo-European northern migrations of the Hyperboreans flowing from the north into the Greek countries. And, and this is like the migrations happened between 10,000 BC down into 6,000 BC. And it is after these Indo-European migrations from the north, what is called the land of the Hyperboreans. It is after these migrations have somewhat settled down that we begin to get the civilizations of Mycenae. The migration split and one of the branches went off into the India-China area. This gave rise to the Vedic tradition from those northern migrations. You see how it, it not only ended up in the Mycenaean, Greek, the Sumerian, Mesopotamian, 
uh, Babylonian. The Babylonian was later, but the Sumerian was some of the earliest civilizations and into the Egyptian. And then we have the Vedic tradition off in the East, the Indian slash Chinese. The North, the direction of the North of this flow of culture, power, politics, religion, completely shattered the world, the known, known, the then known world, and it gave rise to something much grander and great. This is the theme of putting the tower in the north direction of the cube of space. David Holtz had that right. That's very interesting. The tower is the planet Mars. The ruler of martial arts and warfare. Isn't that remarkable? Because this theme of we have now to metaphorically put it into our lives. Again, we fight to expand and understand. It takes action to change ourselves for the better, doesn't it? Seriously. And it can lead to a stormy life in many respects, right? But the will... The supernatural will, the lightning, desires to kick us off dead center, fall out and off of dead center, and we begin to improve. If we're too lazy to do it, the universe knows our potential, and so it's going to give us a helping hand. It's going to blow our lives to smithereens. And then we can begin to grow greater than we normally would have. So what we would think of as a disaster in life is actually the hidden blessing. Now, that's a, that's a really kind of a cool little metaphor to utilize this symbolism with, isn't it? This is the fun of doing a free association across the board, across cultures, etc. So I wanted to share that idea with you. Now, is it still choppy? Is it still coming in and out? I'm certainly sorry if it is. I really hope it's not. I, I, I have no idea why my electronics are goofing up so bad. Let me know. Oh, Absalom, welcome. Rocket mom, rocket mom. John Rosbarski, Swiss Chocolate. All of you, welcome, Miss Natural. Yeah, yeah, Mike Weiss. Okay, okay, you guys are, it's not choppy, just slight microphone static. Okay, well, I'm a little bit farther distant. I can pull this close. I will try to talk slow and relative. I think my computer adjusts sound, so I will try to keep the sound at an even keel. I don't mean to sound like I'm talking down to you. I just want this to be clear. It looks like you, oh, T.O., welcome. It looks like you guys are really enjoying the uh, topic. Thank you. I love this topic. Ultimately, the topic kind of all coincides with the mysteries, 
symbolism, spirituality, change, <laughs> and growth, right? That's why we can incorporate this stuff into our own lives. Now, with the, uh, and I want to keep going on this also, this led me, this idea of the storm knocking my interview out with a very important person last night. Uh, and I'm going to beat the odds because I'm going to try to interview her again tonight at six o'clock. But in the process, it got me thinking about storms and lightnings and all. Well, this expands all over the world, both in space and time. You can find modern analogs. You can find ancient analogs. Very interesting materials to look at and enjoy. This is out of one of my very favorite books, one of the most important 15 books I own. I am so not kidding. If you don't have this book, I would truly say you will really get some fantastic insight in this book on the ancient mysteries. And it really does potentially tie in with modern mysteries and ways to increase our life experiences. The Apples of Apollo by Carl Ruck. Absolutely breathtaking book. I loved that I've been through it several times. But here is the main theme in relation to lightning. In the oh, and this is this is so important. Uh, oh, and it's on the other page, and I could not find a separate picture of it, so I will hold this picture here. This is a Greek vase. The Greeks love to put their mythology onto their clay, which we're very grateful for because we understand their thinking so much better. This is a scene of Perseus slaying the Gorgon, but he is looking through the reflection of his shield. His shield is in the shape of a mushroom. And you can't look at the Gorgon directly or you get turned to stone. So he looked at her in a reflection through his shield. That's the Greek fix. That's the basis of what Ruck says on the next page. And now I will read this next page to you. See, now we're getting into the Greeks into the legends of Perseus and the Medusa. I mean, isn't it fantastic? We start with the Native Americans with their sand paintings, with this lightning, the storm theme. And then we can expand off into, I mean, we talked about the Bible, Dante, the tarot card symbolisms. We, and now we're into the Greeks. We've gone to the Hyperboreans, the cube of space with the important direction of north as the place from or of evil, which means changing us off of our dead sense which is the essence of that symbolism of the tower. I mean, I love how all of this stuff broadens, keeps rolling out. 
I love studying like this, man. This is why the mysteries for me are so much fun. I, I can't help it. I'm a nut job, I admit it. Well, in this vase painting that I just showed you, the head is reflected in the shield, like I said, because the shield represents the mushroom at a later stage of growth. The freshly severed head would, of course, be dripping blood, as well as making the shield as blood red as the mushroom fly allergic which is the Amanita muscara mushroom, the red mushroom with the white polka dots. And I, I think I've got a picture of that somewhere. Is it in this book? I've got it. Anyway, if you look up mushrooms, you can see what it looks like. I'll, I'll show you a picture of it in a minute. So the white gills of the mushroom itself is will be on the outside of the cup or the chalice, Filled with blood, the Holy Grail comes to mind. Viewed from the side, this cup can also be seen as the outstretched wings of the of a bird, as the gills resemble white feathers. So it's not at all surprising that the rise of the winged Pegasus appears where the head used to be. He's talking about plucking the mushroom and its physical shape of the Amanita muscara is the basis of the entire mythological story of Perseus lopping off the head of the Gorgon. The head of the Gorgon is the mushroom head. If you don't treat it with respect and care and do the consumption of the mushroom properly, you will be turned to stone. It will kill you. And then you're what? Stone dead. But if you do it accurately and correctly, as the shamans did, then you can have your ascent. Isn't that fascinating? The actual story and the description of the characters, the people, the animals, the plants, is all about this ascension to heaven to the light, which world the power in the form of a lightning bolt also can descend because it's an understood, interesting idea in all of the ancient mythologies that the mushrooms are born from the lightning. Isn't that fantastic? That's a, Carl Ruck is fantastic on this subject. And again, Carl Ruck, the hidden world. And this is the survival of pagan shamanic themes in European fairy tales. This was, abs you can see I've got hundreds of tabs. This was absolutely a mouthwatering book just totally sumptuous and enjoyable. And I just wanted to share one theme here, one idea here. The Greeks remembered as their mythological Indo-European homeland where the people were called Hyperboreans. See, I, I was just talking about that. His manner of travel was upon a golden arrow not an implausible way for an ecstatic shaman to journey between this and other worlds.
since the Greek word for arrow, ios, is hominous with toxin, and the arrow traditionally was drugged or poisoned, conveying the metaphor of entheobotanical intoxication, the English word toxin derives from the Greek word for the bow, as in bow and arrow. Isn't that remarkable? I love stuff like this. The toxon, T-O-X-O-N, via, and it comes through the Latin, toxicum, for the poison in which arrows were dipped. So we have intoxicate. This derives from a verb which means to poison the arrows. <laughs> what a fantastic idea. Shamans similarly often indulge in psychic excursions on their arrows. Oh, that's a major theme in ancient shamanism. So this is fantastically interesting. The likeness of birds that's the other, that is the other interesting symbolic metaphor for heavenly flight of the human soul. And this is very powerfully predict, uh, depicted in the uh, ancient Egyptian book of the dead, man. I've got my copy right back here. The ancient Egyptian book of the dead, where they show the soul with a head of a bird and wings. And they're flying to heaven. They're making their ascent. Well, the other, uh, the other metaphor is that lightning bolt, the arrow. <laughs> Fantastic! The connection between the worlds. I mean, come on, that's fun stuff. Okay, I love reading stuff like this. So, so Carl Rock has. Thousands of insights like that in his magnificent research. I'd highly encourage you to, to get it if that kind of thing uh, helps you out, if you like that kind of study. I personally really do. Now, the other interesting thing is the uh, Paul Foster case in his book, The Tarot. Uh, and there's a wonderful picture of, of Dr. Paul Foster case one of my true heroes of the mind. He is very, very important. And you can see I've written all kinds of stuff on the inside because, uh, and then I've cross-referenced it all. And then there is, there is a very beautiful, interesting diagram of the cosmos as metaphorized through shape and numbers. And that is a very, very fun meditative exercise to change how you're viewing some things. I, I really like that kind of thing. Well, here we are back to the tower. So I'm going to show you this tower again. And I'm not trying to emphasize the tarot cards. It's just that they have such a fantastic symbolization with lightning. And again, uh, let, let's just keep in mind you want to get into another cultural angle, very simple, Yahweh, 
in the Old Testament became what? A storm god. He wielded the lightning. The Old Testament directly depicts that verbally with words where he reigns on the clouds. He's the cloud rider, the cloud strider, and the cloud rider. He acquires the storm god properties of Marduk out of the Enuma Elish and of the god Min out of ancient Egypt, Yahweh joined the retinue of the storm gods wielding the lightning bolt. And in the Greek pantheon, we have Zeus. It all comes together throughout the ancient cultures. Isn't that remarkable? And we still have lightning and thunder and storms today. Imagine that. This stuff doesn't go away, does it? It's just fun stuff. So this tower, now this is one of several titles, among them being the lightning struck tower, the fire of heaven. Notice this looks like a disaster, but it's not. It's one of the gifts from heaven, the fire from heaven. Where would we be without fire? Yeah, you you ponder that. See, this is the fun of, you don't take it literally. Oh, what a complete disaster, those poor people. Huh? Ah, this is the blessing. This is the fun of studying the mysteries. Remember in the ancient Greek culture, in their whole religion, you ask the Sphinx or you ask the Oracle a question, you never ever get a straight answer. And yet you get a straight answer. The issue is which meaning are you applying to the Oracle? Every time humanity, humanity, put the wrong meaning on the oracle and they either lost their lives or their fortunes or whatever. There was loss involved. This is the theme of sacrifice. Same principle here. There is loss involved here. The tower has lost its crown and its inhabitants and its structural stability. But you notice what the flames, the tower of fire are showing. This, this figure here is the Kabbalah tree of life. This figure here is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 is the, is the uh, oh, I can't remember. Well, let me, let me see what he says. I can't remember what he called that. Oh, the other interesting thing, hold on, is that to the ancients in the, in the Chaldean oracles of Zoroaster, they speak of the supreme spirit as the god who energizes a spiral force. The lightning bolt actually spirals. 
Did you know that? No, really, literally. They've tested it in the Westinghouse laboratories. The lightning is a spiral from our perspective, from a human perspective, with the speed with which our eyes can observe something, it does look like a zigzag. It could be both. Depends on the perspective. So don't think we know what reality is all about just because we see something as a zigzag. It is a spiral also. Don't think we know what's going on here when we say, well, obviously there's destruction going on and people are falling out of that tower and the thing is burning down. That's right. The old, dead, useless is being gotten rid of. That's not evil. That's not negative. Well, it disrupts our lives and we feel like that's evil. Yes, because we've become lazy. That's correct. The universe will bless us with the gift of a swift kick in your ass to get you going again. That's a blessing. But it hurts. Uh-huh. Welcome to reality. <laughs> That's how these mysteries, that's how these analogies, and that's how these metaphors can work. Isn't that fun? That's really interesting. So don't be so quick to judge and take a little bit more time staying calm. <laughs> that is the lesson, right? So anyway, uh, that is Paul Foster Case. Now, and I wanted to go through the the three worlds. I've gone on for about an hour. I, I've been at this an hour and uh, I'm sure I've bored the living heck out of all of you. And I don't mean to, but uh, oh, oh, yes, yes. Look, one more idea here. This is Peter Kingsley. Oh, this, <laughs> Peter Kings again, I've got all kinds of tabs, and uh, cross-references, and I, I do all kinds of writing in the book because I don't want my books to look good. I want my books to be useful. So I don't just sit them up on a shelf to gather dust. I use them for energizing my own mind. This book by Peter Kingsley, The uh, Ancient Philosophy, Mystery, and Magic. Oh, my gosh. What a book. Now, in this, in this particular Oh, let's see here. Oh, he's talking about the Orphic gold plates. Now, Orphism, we're going way back. Now, according to uh, Algis Uzdavinis, which is another new hero of mine, I don't have his... Oh, yes, I do. He's right here. Oh, for Pete's sake. According to Algis Uzdavinis, and, and this is his masterwork right here. This is absolutely premium reading. There, there's nothing better in the world as far as I'm concerned. And it's affordable. Uh, but this right of philosophy, philosophy as a right of rebirth, absolutely sensational. But he shows the, uh, well, and then his other one, I know I'm getting sidetracked. I'm not getting sidetracked, I promise. I'm giving you guys further light and knowledge. I'm giving you the potential to increase your brains and your wonder of life and your enjoyment. So if you want to listen up and do what I'm asking you to do, that's great. If not, it's not a, it's not, a, you're not going to offend me. <laughs> I promise you don't offend me. I'm just helping you out here. But philosophy and theurgy in late antiquity. Wow. Good stuff.
he traces the the tracing of the philosophy which for all intents and purposes was the mystery which again for all intents and purposes the mystery was to help you me us recognize that taught tavam asi thou art that we are the eternal Death is much like this tower. It's an illusion. This is not a bad happening in this symbol. This is not an evil thing. This is not a disaster. This is not an end. And yet you can try to make a case on every one of those concepts that that is exactly what this is, and you would have it all wrong. The mysteries hide the truth in plain sight through symbolism. If we understand how to read the symbolism and connect the analogies, the metaphors all together, that is what is called becoming enlightened. That's the point of the lightning to enlighten us. Notice what the lightning is striking the tower. And where, where are the people in the tower at? Look at the background color. They are entirely in the dark. The light has to help them out. I love stuff like this. I can't help it. Call me a dodo. Call me an idiot. I could care less what you think. The mysteries are wonderful to explore. Peter Kingsley, let me get back on track. The sage, and this is on page 257, 258, for those of you who really do the intelligent thing and begin purchasing the books I'm showing you, as you can, it's not a rush, you don't have to all of a sudden, you know, sell your house to buy a book, that would be completely foolish, don't do that, well, the sages were transformed into sacred heroes, according to Pinder, their souls were liberated. And this is one aspect of the issue, this theme of the making them a hero, the heroization in the gold plates of Orphism. Orphism is one of the, that's why I was trying to tell you about the, uh, Uzdavnis, the chain of influence, of passing down of mystery knowledge in the Orphic materials, you're way, way, way back into early antiquity. It starts with the Egyptians. And, and then from there, of course, it spreads. But the Orphics are almost that far back. They are pre-Greek. They are pre-Pythagorean and Platonic. Well, Plato is 
somewhat relatively late. Wasn't he like 400 BC? That's not real early. I, that's a ways back there. But the Orphism goes way further back. So these Orphic gold plates, the reason they put them on the gold plates is because this is the most important information. Now, like it or not, I don't give a damn what you think about him. That's a Joseph Smith theme with the Book of Mormon and the gold plates. Yes. It is. So that's it. Could he have been tapping into some kind of a spiritual theme? Well, absolutely. As they have shown in Method Infinite, Bruno, Letursky, and Swick have shown that the gold plate comes from the Royal Arch Masonic legends, which go way back into the Hermetic materials, which is the late Egyptian. So the ties and the parallels are all there. I love this kind of stuff, right? The gold plates, they have not been given the emphasis that they deserve. All three of these plates are found in one of the burial mounds at Thurai on the western edge of the Gulf of Tarentum. Present they present the individual with whom each of them was buried as dying from being struck by lightning. Now, this is direct enlightenment, but it kills you. But understand from the mystery tradition, it kills the old, wore-out material stuff to bring forth the birth of the new energized light, the spirit, the soul. Call it whatever you want. That's not the issue. It doesn't matter in some respects. It gives rebirth through the lightning into a much grander sphere of existence. This is the theme that the Orphic gold plates were describing of these three heroes who were struck dead by lightning, struck dead only from our human mortal perspective, yes, but not annihilated. This is not nihilism. That don't cut the mustard. Wrong answer. So this is real interesting. The continuing debate as to whether the people involved died as a result of actually being struck by lightning or whether the lightning was part of a symbolic ritual, this is important, right? You don't have to go start getting in lightning storms and saying, here I am strike me down so I can advance. Don't be that literalistic. That would be silly. But we can participate in this change within through a personalized understanding of what lightning does and personalized ritual to elevate our own psychology. That is entirely possible and doable. You can do that in some respects, this way, with the tarot cards. Get some good tarot information. Paul Foster Case, Jason Lauderhand. Have your own ritual of ascent. Absolutely. And it will be enlightening. Absolutely. 
So, so this is the theme. It doesn't have to be literal, and yet it is real. So this, this has actually, this argument has taken away one of the most fundamental points of this. For the Greeks, death by lightning, which was seen as the purest form of fire, was a standard way of attaining heroic status. And for the ancient Greeks, that meant divination or divinization, divination. <laughs> no, divinization. That's what it meant to them. So, so there you have uh, Peter Kingsley, and again, lots of extra materials in there. Um, I have, I have, real. Oh, oh, I've got to get to Brian Marescu. Uh, remember, with this lightning theme, I'll just mention it real quick. It is in uh, D. Michael Quinn's Early Mormonism and the Magic Worldview. Yeah, I'm an hour and fifteen minutes. So I got to hustle up here. Uh, Joseph Smith. One of Joseph Smith's code names was Barakel. And uh, in the magic tradition, now in the Hebrew, it means blessing of God, which is wonderful because that makes sense. Barak El, blessing of God. In the magic tradition, another level, I'll put it that way, means also lightning of God. Again, not a disaster, but a blessing, a gift. That's a great way to look at this. I'm just saying. And now finally, um, yeah, you've got the sons of thunder in the New Testament. I haven't forgot that. Uh, I'm aware of the sons of thunder. I can't find my analysis of the sons of thunder and why they were named, what their names mean and all. I apologize. And then again, in the Hellenistic, in the Hellenistic world, and this is out of another fantastic book. Uh, and and again, I've I've just I use the living heck out of these books because they don't do you any good on the shelf. So Jesus Christ, Son of God. Now notice the title. That that that's fabulous. That that is a great title. Jesus Christ, Son of God. Ancient cosmology in the Christian world by David Feidler, one of my very favorite authors. He's, he's sensational. And he shows how the issue of the three worlds of man, the upper with which we ascend to, which we aspire to, the one we're at, the center, the ground, the middle, and then the one below. And in a cosmological cycle, these three are intimately connected and necessary. It's the Trinity. It's the universal Trinity. And of course, the, the analogy, the, the metaphor has been to put the symbolisms of the worlds, because these are symbolisms, onto people. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which in all of the ancient trinities, literally, is Father, Mother, Son. Uh, remember, the early Christians thought the Spirit was female. Ruach, the wind, the Spirit. That is what brooded over the waters at the creation. And its shape was in what? the form of the dove, one of the great mother goddess symbols. And what happened at Jesus' baptism? The dove came down, and then the voice was heard. 
the early Christian interpretation of that is utterly fascinating. Uh, I can't remember if it's Ignatius or Irenaeus. Don't quote me exactly just yet. I'll look it up. But I, I've, I've talked about it and I've actually written about it. Um, it was the mother who said to him, thou art my son in whom I am well pleased. It was not the father's voice. It was the mother. The father was witnessed in the shaft of light. The father light the male, the lightning, the phallus. I, I, it's fantastic symbolism, right? It's really good. Now, finally, one of my very favorites, very, very important book, uh, Brian Murescu, The Immortality Key. Uh, brand new, just out last year. Well, I say brand new. It's one year old. Uh, really, truly, this book just changed my whole perception of all kinds of stuff. You've really got to get it, The Immortality Key, and you've got to read it. This kid is brilliant. He's a young man. He spent 12 years researching this material out, and I want to read the, and, and then I'll end it on this. Uh, I want to read this page and a portion to you because, and this is at the end of his book. This is kind of the grand poopah wrap-up of his analysis. And this is so remarkably interesting. His journey opened my eyes to all kinds of new possibilities that I have never before suspected. And all the several, I shouldn't say all, don't get absolutist, but several of the missing keys to the puzzle just boom, 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 fell right into place. Just fantastic stuff. So the when I point out the irony of a Greek scientist on the cusp of resurrecting the original religion of ancient Greece, I'm going to take my glasses off to read this. Bossus digs around on his desk and pulls out his favorite Einstein quote. The cosmic religious experience is the strongest and the noblest driving force behind scientific research. So by referring to his colleagues as the high priestesses of the modern era, maybe Bossus is onto something. The whole point of these psilocybin interventions, he concedes, is to trigger the same beatific vision that was reported at Eleusis for millennia. He's summing up his study of the idea of hallucinogenic drugs being the basis of religion from hoary antiquity. I'm talking 10,000 BC, they are now discovering some information from, uh, what's that old bogus koi, um, Gobekli Tepe. Gobekli Tepe is the archaeological discovery. Well, that thing dates back to 11,000 BC, man. That's no joke. And he talks about that in this. Well, they're finding the use of ritualistic drugs that far back, and it hasn't changed much. So the Indo-European migrations from where? The north. Not that it's saying drugs is evil, but the evil comes down. The arbiter of change comes down and spreads like leaven throughout 
all of the ancient cultures, and they all participate in sacraments of one kind or another of ingesting the God in order to be God, acquire not just his looks, but his powers, not just her beauty, but her power. That was very serious throughout the ancient world. Well, now they've discovered that that was the basis of the Eleusinian mysteries. That, that is absolutely staggering and breathtaking. And there are studies that show that Joseph Smith's first vision could very well have been an entheogenic experience. Entheogenic is the Greek uh, combination of, of syllables that means the God within, basically ingesting the mushroom. The mushroom gives you the powers to the divinity. That's the theme. That's the idea. So, and this, uh, so we are all God. If we all died before we died, and that was the theme of the Greeks, definitely. That was, boy, Peter Kingsley is huge on that too. That was the theme of uh, Empedocles and the Pythagorean tradition. The basis of the Greek religious, philosophical, cultural revolution in the ancient Mediterranean, you die before you die so that when you die, you don't die. That's not a contradiction. You need to get Mara Rescue. That is a profound mystery aphorism that is poignantly described in Mara Rescue's book, The Immortality Key. You must get this book. I, I'm not joking. You must get this book. It, it's eye-opening. The Son of Man is within you, says the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. But if you don't die now, you might never realize that. You might never understand that heaven is not what happens when the physical body wastes away and that there is no afterlife because there is no after. There is no after. There's just life. This is powerful, man. There's only right here, right now. The kingdom of the Father is spread out upon the world, said the Gospel of Thomas, and the people do not see it. Well, once you enter into that state of always being, as Dinah put it, eternity then will open up to us, and with it, the key to immortality. It was never about life after death. It is always about escaping into the timelessness of the infinite present. There's no beginning or end said Dinah. Every moment is an eternity of its own. Dinah is the atheist who went to one of the colleges back east and volunteered as an experiment person on taking hallucinogenics. She is an atheist. After her experience, she remains an atheist, but she said, my whole spirituality 
opened entirely open and it was the most beautiful experience i've ever had it was fantastic i met eternity i lived in eternity and i recognize that i am eternity that's profound that, that's that's deep that's the mysteries so that was uh, the mysteries were, and this is on page 390. The mysteries were a machine for the making of gods and goddesses. It all disappeared with the rise of institutionalized Christianity. When it really technically did not have to, it did anyway. So anyway, uh, that's, that's essentially what I wanted to get across today. I, I'm just... I'm kind of dabbing and blabbing. I'm so excited about this book, Method Infinite, and, and it getting me interested in studying more of the mysteries in, in the relationship, in the confluence and congruence of Mormonism and Masonry. But recognizing that that's not the only two options. No, of course not. Criminy. The, the mysteries are still here. We just have to figure out a way. We, we personally, on a one-to-one on -one basis, me, me, and you, you, as your individual, we have to find the way to tap into it because it is there. The invisible is here. It's just invisible. <laughs> I, I know that sounds kooky. And yet it is a deeply profound truth. Once you begin studying the mysteries, you might be able to acquire a comprehension of, of what that actually could potentially mean for each of us, which makes it fun. So, yeah, and I like studying the ancient mysteries, the medieval mysteries, the modern mysteries. It's all around us. It's quite fun. The best way to do that, of course, is at night. Go outside and look up. Look at the real light coming from the stars, of which we actually literally are. We're the same thing. So when you go up and look at the night sky, are you looking at yourself? I'll leave it at that. So anyway, be sure and join me at one o'clock today. Oh my gosh, it's 1130, hour and a half. I'll be talking to Clinton Bartholomew about Method Infinite. And then tonight I will be talking with Cheryl Bruno. And I will be finishing my interview with her as one of the authors of this book. And this afternoon, perhaps I will do another uh, mysteries presentation just to further expand our own consciousness, spirituality, health, mentally, physically, spiritually, psychologically, and help us recognize this is the thing I get the most out of studying all this stuff. It really does show me that. I matter, that I am important, and it's okay to accept that truth. It's not egotism. It's not. It's just not egotistical. It's just the fact. Well, that's kind of fun. That's kind of nice. You can you can relax a little bit and uh, go water the trees and the flowers and enjoy the colors and smells of Mother Nature and pick up rocks and feel their hardness and look at all the different shapes and textures of the world that we are part of and in. And it just gets delightful. 
that's the one thing I have learned. That's no joke. The mysteries keep turning me back to nature and nature keeps, whether by day or by night, nature keeps turning me back to these wonderful mysteries. And it's, it's a great circular spiral upward. It's just a ball. And I, I like bringing all you, my friends and audience with me because I love y'all. So have a good time. I will see you in about an hour and a half. I'm going to close out and go eat lunch. Thank you for putting up with my obfuscation. Uh, from darkness to light is the most important thing we can do for ourselves, our neighbors, our friends, our families, but not in arrogant, proudful, organized ways. Do it through your heart. Do it through your mind. Do it through your gut. Do it with love. That's the best way. So, Okay, you guys. I will catch up to you shortly. I love you all. See you soon.